is Women Who Rock, a podcast promoting female musicians and artists. I'm very happy to say that today I am joined by singer-songwriter Christine Jane. Christine, thanks so much for coming into Tour CR to have a chat. Thank you so much for having me. It's really good to have a chat. I actually, so a couple of years ago, I went to Memphis and I did a tour of Sun Studios, ah. which was great. And I sense that you have a really strong kind of connection to that era, mid-50s rock. Elvis, Johnny Cash, I know there's a really great uh, cover of Folsom Prison Prison Blues on your most recent album. So Mm. what is it that really draws you into that kind of mid-50s, the birth of of rock and roll? Yeah, I'm I'm super connected to it. I don't know, I I feel like maybe I lived another life and I was there or something. Right. I feel really um, transported by that music and I think it's hard not to feel feel something really strong with with early blues music especially. And I did that same tour of Sun Studios when I went over to the States a few years back and I did what I call my musical pil- pilgrimage, which mm. was just a total tourist blitz across the States with all the recording studios and the landmarks and stuff and I think not only being there in some of those studios and seeing how things were recorded or where they took place was really special but for me the deeper connection or the realization about that music and that time and that place was that it came from the deep the deep struggle of the deep south and you know the issues that we've been fortunate enough not to grow up with, you know, segregation and and those sorts of things and poverty. And that's where that music comes from. And I think um, especially African-American artists just had so much cause to sing the blues. So when you hear it, you just feel it. Mm. That's all I can say. (laughs) The blues is my favourite genre as well. I think that the reason I kind of grapple with, you know, what is – how can I concisely describe why I love it so much? I think for me, I feel that in all other genres, sometimes things get in the way of the message or the emotion. But when you listen to early blues, there's nothing in the way. Mm. It's just so raw. There's no pro tools. They're not thinking about an algorithm to sell the most albums. Mm. It's just the emotion from the artist. And there's nothing blocking that. I, I guess I feel a very similar thing connected to that. Yeah. Music in the South. Did you also, where else did you go in your pilgrimage? So California and San Francisco and then down to um, New Orleans um, and Memphis and Nashville uh, and then New York and then Cuba. Wow. Yeah. Man, yours is so much more impressive than mine. I just went to Memphis and Nashville. What was the so you what was the attraction with Cuba? Oh. Do you listen to a lot of Cuban music? Um I listen to some. I wouldn't say I have a great knowledge of it, but I I love Cuban music and more so I was attracted to the the time in which it 
was until recently encapsulated in the 50s, you know, those beautiful cars and the architecture and the, the, the fashion and everything. It's okay. a stunning country. It's always intrigued me so much. Yeah. I'd like to go to New York as well because of Patti Smith. I really love Patti Smith. Yeah. What was it? Was there a particular artist or recording studio or something that drew you to New York? Well, I mean, everyone wants to visit New York, right? Um, but my former drummer lives there now and he makes a full-time living over there out of music. So I stayed with Simon over there. Um, but the most moving thing in New York for me was um, Louis Armstrong's house. And I'd been in um, – when I'd been in New Orleans a couple of weeks prior to that, I was at Satchmo Fest, which is a festival. They have a big free festival on his birthday every year. And I went to some great talks and stuff that they had, and there was this jazz historian. The leading jazz historian on Louis Armstrong is Ricky Riccardi. That's his name. And then I show up at Louis Armstrong's house in Queens in New York a couple of weeks later. I took Simon on a tour as a you know a special outing, and – Ricky Riccardi is sitting behind the receptionist desk at this, at this in the in the gift shop kind of thing, and I'm like, "Are you Ricky Riccardi?" And he's like, "Oh yes, yes, I am." He's got this voice like a muppet, and I'm like, "What what are you doing, like sitting at the reception desk?" And he's like, "Oh well, I was working over at the university and the archives, and they were down some staff, and they said, can you come over and sit, you know, on the desk?'" <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, okay, this is really cool. I saw your talk recently." Da da da. And I said, hey, Ricky, I don't suppose you could give us the tour of Lewis's house? And he's like, oh, well, uh, Marge is supposed to be back in a minute. Uh, yeah, I suppose I suppose not, not Not many people around today. I can give you the tour. And so me and Simon got a, a private tour of Lewis Armstrong's house by the world's leading historian. We got these incredible stories and insights, and that was really special too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, very glad that you added that to your <laughs> list of uh in your itinerary for your pilgrimage. <laughs> yeah, there were so many moments on that, that trip. Like we met Wanda Jackson after she did a little gig in a dive bar in Memphis during Elvis week and she talked about dating Elvis and we saw Priscilla and Lisa Marie at Graceland and so many crazy things. You happened. hit all the sights. Ah, oh, it's just magic. Yeah. The god of rock was looking down on us, I tell you. Yeah. Who we are and who you are to me. Who we are and who we can be. Who we are and who you are to me. So you studied at afters. I was saying afters, but I heard you saying afters. Am uh, I saying that wrong? Controversy, controversy. Oh, really? I've always said afters, and that's the way it used to be said a long time ago, but there was a change of guard there and they started to say afters, but I think it needs to be distinct from the word after and it is an acronym, so afters is how I say it, but whatever. It's, okay. it's an acronym, so there's not really any official It's like tomato, tomato. Exactly. The, well, so you studied there. That's the yeah. point. <laughs> you were studying screen music. Yeah. I'm interested to understand how that background and that study – how that informs your sort of singer-songwriter performances? Yeah, it does heavily, actually. Um, not necessarily because of the study. The study, you know, came from the passion, and the passion came from growing up in a house where art house cinema was was standard viewing. So um, my favourite movie um, and my favourite score of all time come from 
Cinema Paradiso and the scores by Ennio Morricone. And I think my parents would have sat me down with a VHS tape to watch that when I was about five. And if you haven't seen that movie, Cinema Paradiso, it is the most beautiful story of a little boy in Italy who grows up um, in this town in the 40s, um, you know, with the background of war going on and his father's away at war. And he runs along to this little cinema, the, the village cinema, and learns about projection and about movies and a lot of other things along the way from, from Alfredo, this projectionist. And it's just it's just pure magic. And that's one of the many kind of films that I grew up watching and European film. And, and I learned about the power of score, I think because my parents pointed it out, they're quite musical and... Um, so you wanted to study kind of film and stuff. So. You wanted to study screen music from like a really young age, then. Yeah, yeah. I think it was in the back of my mind, but I put it off for a while, thinking that I wasn't quite good enough. But eventually got there, and it was an amazing experience. Do you think that it maybe the aim of some of the songs that you write is to be sort of really big and cinematic, and is that sort of influenced from what you were studying and I guess what you were thinking about the whole time when you were there? Um, I think it all informs each other. Mm. I think my songwriting has cinematic elements sometimes and my score can perhaps, I don't know, be influenced by all the pop music or rock or blues that I've listened to. Mm. Um, But when I studied, I learned how to orchestrate for strings and that directly influenced my um, the strings that are on Head Miles, my last album, and so I wrote... Um, at that time, you know, with the the fresh knowledge um, of how to articulate for the different string instruments, and that was a really beautiful experience. I I just did a social media post the other day because I was recording strings for my new album, Songs for Bleeding Hearts, um, and I was talking about how recording strings, I think, is the pinnacle of any musical career. If you can have strings added to what you're doing, if you have the ability and the the good fortune to be able to write for strings and then have it played for you or recorded. I just think that is such a special privilege and it's so magical. I just wish everyone in the whole world could have that experience. It's it certainly enhanced enhance the Beatles music. So Yeah. <laughs> it enhances kind of all music, I think. Mm. You know, it's it's hard to have bad strings. They they are out there, but it's kind of Yeah. Mm. I think it's just magical layering. Well, on the topic of instrumentation, I'm very excited because I learned a new word today. You've brought with you a, a guitar lately. Yeah. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, you a, got it perfect. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and so I understand that originally you were mainly singing in front of a band. Yeah. But you have started playing more instruments, mainly guitar-based instruments. So can you tell us about your journey into the world of guitar? <laughs> I'm so rookie. I'm so, so rookie. But... um. I've put it off for a really long time and 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 struggled with confidence um because I am f- first and foremost a singer um and I love singing um but I, I I just put off learning guitar for a really long time and so in the last year I've just taught myself a few chords and and forced myself to get up on stage because I feel like time keeps ticking and you just got to do the things that really scare you so um I'm doing lots of little solo gigs to try and get over the fear. <laughs> so were you playing on your most recent LP, Head Miles, were you mm-hmm. playing any instruments on that? Um, I wrote on 
guitar and piano and you know I wrote the strings and stuff but no on the on the production I'm not I'm I've have this wonderful friend and producer Josh Schuberth who produced Head Miles and he's working with me on my new album at the moment um and he's an incredible crazy talented human and he plays drums he plays guitar he plays bass he plays keys he sings he can yeah he can do everything so it is actually mostly Josh and then we had some strings and um, we had Stu Hunter play keys and stuff. So, yeah, I was very lucky because with the Head Miles, I crowdfunded $10,000. So I had a nice budget to work with on that sure. project. Okay. Well, speaking of the Gitalele, we're about to hear a brand new track, I understand. Can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about the song you're going to play? Yeah, I think I'm going to play Ruby Shoes, which is a song from my upcoming album that I just mentioned, Songs for Bleeding Hearts. Um it's a quirky look at, I always say, the space betwixt trysts. Okay, that's a mouthful. <laughs> and I like it for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of this whole album that I'm working on, I've written it on the guitarlele, which is a quirky sounding instrument. It sounds between halfway between a classical guitar and a ukulele. Um, it's very small, although it is six string, and it has the best of both worlds I think so the fact that I've kind of forced myself to write on that has dictated the song somewhat and some of them are kind of sweet and some of them are melancholy and some of them are very quirky so I think I'll share a quirky one quirky look at love okay well here we go here's a new track from Christine Jane Else. 
Just a little bit of, 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 just a little bit of breakfast and nothing else. That was a new song, Ruby Shoes, from Christine Jane. And, uh, Christine, that is going to be on your third LP, which will be coming out soon. It's called Songs for Bleeding Hearts. So you mentioned that you wrote exclusively the songs on the Gitalele. Yeah, pretty much. What was the the purpose of that sort of, I guess, uh, imposed confinement? Um, I just picked up the Gitalele and just started playing it a lot and got attached to it and it became became part of me sort of thing. Um, and I had a bunch of songs that I'd half written over a period of time because I seem to write – I'm writing all the time. And when I say I'm writing, I'm not sitting down with a pen necessarily, but songs are coming to me all the time. And so I just sort of, you know, voice memo them or try and capture them. And then every once in a while when it's time to make an album, I kind of look for – themes or similarities in order to choose the songs to put together and so I think there was a few ideas floating around that seemed to suit the Gitalele and then there was a couple of new new songs that came out because of my you know mucking around or lack of skill really so it's it's been interesting because in some ways it's enhanced some of the songs and in some ways it's it's restricted how I write because of my limitations but um but yeah, I just love it. It's a, it's an interesting sound. Sometimes restrictions can be good to like, force creativity, though, right? Yeah. It, sometimes, if I think if you have too many options, it can be limitless. But if you mm. put yourself in a box, then the thing happens because you have to do it under that environment. Yeah, I think it's a really good thing every now and then to sort of give yourself a perimeter and go, mm. "This is all I have. This is what I'm going to work with." I was reading that you listed Fiona Apple as an influence. She is someone that I have been meaning to sort of investigate for a while, but haven't really. Can you tell us a bit about Fiona Apple? Oh, um, I actually don't know a lot about her. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, I might have, I think I had it written that I've been compared to her. I think I think there might have been a sentence somewhere on a website where people, I wrote about artists that people have compared me to like as in the sound a little bit so maybe her voice sounds a little bit like mine I don't know but I'm I kind of just know her famous songs (laughs) and what I know I really love I really love her work but I'm not um I don't fangirl very hard over many people like there's not many artists I could really tell you a lot about (laughs) I just sort of absorb what I hear and float along and move move on to the next thing. Maybe we'll both have to do our homework on the deeper cuts of Fiona Apple. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Elvis is one of the main... Is Elvis your... is an early influence for sure. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. I used to watch the midday movie with my, with my nana okay. growing up on Channel 9. They used to play Elvis movies every Saturday or Sunday, I think, at midday. And um, yeah. I just remember my grandmother loving her and therefore I love loving her, loving him <laughs> and therefore me loving him. Um, I just, yeah, have these kind of memories, fond memories right. of watching him on the on the screen with his kind of cheesy um, love songs and musicals. And like, you know, at first it was quite a thoughtless 
you, you know, attraction. But over over the years, I realized how incredible an artist he actually was. Incredibly talented, incredibly charismatic, a beautiful singer. I think someone who had a lot of acting talent as well, but was sort of pushed into certain roles, um, mm. you know, by the colonel. But um, I actually have a deep and profound love of Elvis. I have right. a, an Elvis tattoo on my wrist of his name. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was when I was a young child. I used to watch Mr. Bean with my nan. <laughs> but I don't. I don't have a Rowan Atkinson tattoo. To be fair. <laughs> what a comparison. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we had different you, childhoods. <laughs> we had different childhoods, my friend. And do you idolise Rowan Atkinson? Is he someone you you epitomise? Well, he I. Th- I think was an electrical engineer. Really? Before he was, I think he was in the Cambridge Footlights. That may not be true, but I'm pretty sure he did study engineering. I can see so that. So maybe. And you're a scientist as well. Do, do, do the people know? Do the listeners know? I'm not sure. I keep it a secret. <laughs> You've got a secret identity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that did affect you more than you think, the viewing of Mr. Bean. Maybe. <laughs> Although there's the one, I really remember the one where he did really poorly in the exam. And I don't think, hopefully that wasn't a reflection on the next 12 years of my life. I want to talk about events. Mm-hmm. You run an event called For Folk's Sake. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about that and how long you've been doing that for? Yes, yes I can. Um, my dear friend Sean, um, who has a band called Yush, used to run this event. He started it with his lovely lady um, Lauren, uh, who was working at 107. So they ran it for a couple of years and now they've moved to the Big Apple. And um, it's at 107 Redfern Street, Redfern. And the venue is just called 107, which is an amazing mixed community and art space. There's all sorts of things happening there. There's a cafe, there's art gallery, there's spaces where dance classes and art classes are run and there's always music and stuff happening. So And cold beers. It's cold beers, craft beers, good wine, yeah. and pastizis. I love pastizis. Yeah. It's mm. got everything. It's got everything. So they have this rooftop, which, like, you know, maybe you've been there, but you haven't been on to the rooftop. The rooftop is amazing because it's this community-built garden with herbs and a weeping willow and fairy lights and a koi pond with the gentle lapping of water. It's just beautiful. So there's there's this terrace and it has a little room. Um, up top, and that's where we run our monthly night, um, where we have three original acts every month, and there's one coming up on May 25th. Um, and I love running it. I took it over September last year, and um, I just do it for the love to to give a platform to original artists and to discover new music and to to do something where I'm out and about and really amongst it and really involved but without it being about me because I'm very aware that as a solo singer-songwriter or an artist a lot of what we do is unnaturally having to be kind of focused on ourselves which can be really great and really horrible and you know a bit of a head fuck so um, I just love music and I've got so many talented friends and um you know, this big network. So it's it's easy, it's a joy for me to, to book artists and to, to put that on. So is it on every the last Sunday of every month? It's or? a Saturday night thing. Oh, okay. And I think at the moment it's the last Saturday. It can change depending on how oh, the venue. Oh, right, okay. 
how the venue's going and what, what bookings they've got on, but just have a look on our Facebook page for folks' sake. Sure. Or 107's page. And with Christine Jane, we should talk about, so you have a couple of gigs coming up as well. Yeah. The uh, We can put up links for those in the podcast description. I think 24th oh, cool. of May is the next gig that you have coming mm-hmm. up. But uh, can you tell us a bit more about, I guess, the timeline for the album and when that will be out, or is that still a work in progress? Mm, it is a work in progress. I have some lovely people who have pre-ordered the album through GoFundMe. And they have generously given uh, thousands of dollars to to make this happen, and that's that's still open. So it's kind of like a never-ending pre-order portal that's open. Um, and I've just been chipping away, chipping away at it. I've been going up to the Blue Mountains where Josh is now base, based to um, record. And last weekend we recorded cello, and this weekend we're recording viola and. We're just doing bits and pieces when we can. Right. So okay. Busy, but um, so Ruby shoes that we just heard is that the first recording of that? Um. Oh no, no. That it's people it's could hear? been recorded. Well, hmm, I think I've sung it on community radio before, um, and it's been recorded for the album, but it obviously hasn't been released yet. Mm, so, mm. so yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, if there's people listening out there, it will be the <laughs> first time. Yeah. So I guess we need to keep going to the folk-based events and keep our eyes open for when your album will be out. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, there's no launch date just yet. It's it's still um, still uh, in the in the workshop, shall we say? Mm, but cool. but soon, very soon. Yeah. Everything I had, I'd give it all back just to be right there by your side. It's time for Tell Me a Thing, where I have a list of seven topics, and I ask you to tell me something about them. The topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, Patti Smith, punk rock, poetry, death, and politics. So, Christine, can you please tell me a thing? Well, I've chosen tonight punk rock. Okay. Which is actually not a topic I know a lot about. There are lots of people who know way more than me. But the reason that kind of struck me from your list is because a little story came to me instantly, which is one of my earliest musical memories. So I thought that could be good to share. Um, I come from a big family and I'm the youngest of six children. And my oldest brother, Martin, would have been... So I would have been about five and he would have been about, oh gosh, actually I would have been younger. No, I would have been heaps younger. I would have been like two or three or something and he was moving out of home and it was nearly the time for him to go. But he was listening to a lot of punk rock and there's this song that he used to play for me on vinyl because all his stuff that he listened to was on vinyl by Susie and the Banshees called Christine the Strawberry Girl and... Hence, I used to jump up and down on his bed when I was about two or three to that song and I knew all the words and um, that's a really happy early memory. It's like the only memory I have of living in the same house as my older brother because there was such an um, age gap, like 15 right. years. And he's a muso too um, and an artist, but he lives in the Blue Mountains now. But yeah, so I don't know if I'm really, you know, giving a good story here or I need to be expert about punk rock to talk about that topic. No, you don't have to be an expert at all. Do you? So when you were like like two or three, Mm. 
you had that really happy memory. Mm. Have you listened to the song recently? Yes. Like in the last year or so I would have listened to it. So how do you how what's your perception of it now? Is it still happy or Yeah, it's definitely got good good memories attached. It's it's very weird, you know, Susie and the Banshees. I don't know if that song is particularly punk rock, but it's it's certainly got punk influence there. Mm. Yeah. Very avant garde. Cool. Yeah, that's like a really personal uh reflection or a link to a story, a <laughs> link yeah. to a song. And it talks about, it mentions purple, which is my favourite colour. Now she's in purple, now she's a turtle. <laughs> Actually, I it's, can't think of the song, so. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty out there. It's a cool song though. Cool. <laughs> you should check it out. Well, yeah, we will. <laughs> thanks for sharing. <laughs> um, yeah, Christine, thanks so much for coming and having a chat with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Don't forget that without the TV on, you're just sitting in a dark room. It's a solitary sting as per usual. Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of 2SER 107.3. I found somebody, somebody Somebody else